Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the unofficial Unreal Engine podcast, where we talk about all things Unreal Engine and also black market sushi carousels. Good to see you all. As always, we're your hosts. My name is Alex. And I'm Jacob. It's great to be back on the podcast. Uh, welcome, everyone, to an- another exciting episode. I'm sure make sure to like, share, uh, you know, comments. We, we got some really great comments uh, coming in for some of our past episodes. It's really exciting to see to see folks uh, enjoy it. And, and we apologize uh, that we, we are making content faster. I, I know that's the, that's the name of the game here, but uh, we, uh, you know, we focus on quality instead of quantity over here at Unreal Engine, unofficial Unreal Engine podcast. <laughs> uh, uh, unintentionally, but maybe, maybe it's true. You know, maybe it's true. How are you, Jacob, in general? Um, you know, it's, uh, it's been a, a, a crazy few months. Uh, but, uh, been traveling a little bit, uh, went, you know, went to, uh, I got back from GDC and then I thought, oh, well, I'm done traveling and then, <laughs> you know, traveled a bit more and it's just been a, a kind of a nonstop whirlwind to be honest, but, uh, you know, I can't complain, you know, uh, those, those real-time graphics ain't gonna render themselves, you know? Um, <laughs> so how about you, Alex? How, how, how have you been? It's pretty good. Uh, also traveling as well. Um, been back and forth to Austin a few times, um, preparing for a big conference in New York City on Monday, and then um, we'll be back to Austin and then over to LA for an event called The Next Stage, where we'll be showing some Unreal Engine theater stuff. It's a big like theater conference thing. Awesome. Yeah. Well, let's let's jump into it. W- what's up? What's been going on in uh, in 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 Unreal Universe? Well, I think everyone's feeling pretty excited about 5.2 moving pretty quickly from um, a couple previews to a, a final release. And um, yeah, I mean, we've talked a little bit about uh, what we were excited about based on the GDC announcements, but now a lot of this stuff is in everyone's hands. Um, I was showing off at the top of the podcast for anyone who sees the video, the uh, metahuman machine learning deformer stuff is crazy, like running in real time. Um, mind you, I'm on a pretty beefy computer, but it's 120 frames a second real time. You see muscles, you see clothes, you see all sorts of body flexing stuff that is is really phenomenal. Yeah, I I think we spoke a little bit about uh, some of the ML deformer stuff last episode, mm-hmm. but it's just still insane to to see the results and and now having it in our hands and knowing oh yeah this is real. It's you know it's it just it's cool to have your hands on this stuff. And, and it's always exciting when they release these examples. Um, you know, they're very good about releasing a lot of examples and making sure anything they show, you know, there's no smoke and mirrors and that's always great. Uh, but I'm really excited about this kind of technology in the engine. You know, I think like, like we man- mentioned last time we spoke uh, on the podcast, you know, that kind of, it's just fascinating to see how, how many different features are in the engine and also kind of the new domains and, and the new types of uh, activities or actions that you can take in the engine. I think it's pretty exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And um, for anyone who doesn't know, by the way, because I have been asked this more times than I uh, have expected to. Um, and whenever you want to see the latest like samples available download for Unreal Engine, it's just in the Epic Launcher. There's a tab called Samples. And that's where if you were to go there right now, you would see, you know, the newest UE feature sample is ML Deformer sample. And that's where you also find like the MetaHuman sample, the Matrix City sample, um, a car configurator, an ICVFX thing, um, all sorts of great just, you know, starter projects in there to, to get your feet wet. Yeah, uh, I I miss the, the, I don't really miss the days of, of hunting through the marketplace for random examples, but uh you know, it is it is cool to see how much awesome content they're releasing. And, and you mentioned that also the the driving demo from GDC was going to be released soon. Is that is that still true? Well, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'd I'd love for it to release. I, I bet there's a bit of a issue with like you know um, Rivian from like a licensing perspective. Yeah, I would imagine because it's you know their actual very accurate design of their vehicle. But I would hope that you know you replace that that Rivian car with maybe a souped up version of the the car in the automotive template and uh, and you know leave all the procedural stuff and leave all the great little puddle splashes and uh, deformed tires and I think a lot of people would be thrilled to play around in that sample. Yeah, I mean just the geometry sc- scripting and procedural mm-hmm. toolkit 
stuff in there would be fascinating to see. Um, I mean, it, that's, I think we spoke about that as well, but I, yeah, that's one of the most exciting tools for me in, in the, in the engine right now, just the, the kind of, anytime you can make it easier to develop larger worlds or more content, you know, in a faster uh, way, I think it just opens up a whole new avenue for a lot of creators. And, and I'm always excited to see that. And that matched with, you know, what we're kind of seeing the move towards in UEF, UEFN, I think is really exciting, like to get to a point where anyone can both, you know, create some really awesome big experiences and also have a simple way of monetizing that. I think it's super cool. I mean, to think about the, the new types of creators that we'll see come out of that, I think it's pretty exciting. Yeah, absolutely. I actually was uh, fortunate to be a guest critic at uh, Columbia last week or two weeks ago. So all the students had done these Unreal Engine projects. It was in the architecture school. And it was funny to see how many of those projects, because most of them were done in 5.0 or 5.1, to be like, oh, there's a thing that would really help you that just came out in 5.2. So, you yeah. know, typically at the end of these architecture critiques, you're like trying to give the students like ideas for what they can do to uh, take their project further. And I was surprised how many times I was like, you should download 5.2. Like there was a, a group that was doing all this amazing stuff with uh, like, iridescent pearlescent shaders and like all this crazy refraction and i was like have you seen like the opal material in the rivian demo and they're like i have no idea what you're talking about what are you like, talking about add that yeah. material and that's going to do some crazy stuff here yeah. so uh yeah as you say like the, just the the power that we're putting in the hands of of students creators professionals like anyone who just wants to dive into this sandbox to to mix metaphors in a fun way uh, yeah it's all I, I think i think it's also interesting i mean this is kind of segueing into a a, a different topic so we can hold off if we want but when folks are comparing um unreal engine and unity uh i think there's kind of two sides to to the argument when it comes to unreal and one is oh there's so many features how we how could you know unity compete and the other one's like oh it's too many features and <laughs> you know like i i mean you can argue whether or not it's you know everything and nothing it doesn't really seem that way uh i think for creators uh and i think you know the proof is in the pudding in the sense of how how widely it's being used in so many different domains but um yeah i mean the 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 amount of tooling that's gonna like i i've been i i've as we've been talking i've had the the release notes on my other screen i've been trying to get through them <laughs> just scrolling and i have not even reached halfway down the document now uh, it's just, it's just truly insane how much content is being, or, or how many features are being built out, you know, the technical teams there and, and how, how awesome their teams are right now and, and what they're able to do in a release is just, is really pretty incredible. Um, no, no doubt about that. Yeah, I'm just also scrolling through and there's a ton. Yeah, I, I think um, we'll be here for a while, unfortunately. It's like, <laughs> I mean, there's there's some really interesting stuff that I've kind of already found here. One, I found a new new section here called Diff Tool. I never mm -hmm. heard about. Um, the current support for Blueprint, Blueprint adjacent types. That's super interesting to me because that leads into the kind of the... Um, the management stuff that, you know, everyone's talking about UEFN, um, mm -hmm. where it's like source control, having diff tools seems like, you know, it's kind of going in that direction, which is very cool to see. There's a whole section here on artificial intelligence, yeah. neural network engine, like Crazy. the fuck is that? I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this, but uh, <laughs> you, so, you didn't say the F word, you said, yeah, yeah, yeah. You said what the fun is that? Yeah. <laughs> You can now run neural networks within your game using neural network engine plugin. Like what? Since when? <laughs> and apparently there's a course. That's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, this is this is truly insane. The fact that you can go ahead and and all of a sudden now you can run full simulations using you know neural networks. That's that's crazy. And that's just like that's just a random bullet point in this enormous enormous document. Uh, yeah, I like the idea of us just shouting out a few random ones that are catching our eye because um, some of these, like I'm just looking at this for the first time too, and uh, I guess there's a tool that apparently has been around since 5.1, but it's called the Render Capture Baking Tool, 
and it lets you um, take like a really simple piece of geometry and then make it look much more detailed um, just by baking a bunch of textures to it. And I imagine it's a little bit like the uh, the imposter baking tool as well, which would take like a bunch of angles of a 3D object and just do a PNG for each angle. So if you had things that are further away, it would still hold up pretty well. And this looks like a crazy version of that. Like the example they have is a really simple piece of geometry for a building. And then yeah. after you bake the textures to it, like it looks way more detailed. And then they show the same thing with um, a bunch of flowers. So um, whatever this thing is that I've never seen before this moment, that's something I want to play with. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. I I just scrolled to another random different part and I'm seeing this is, uh, there's a, a line I'm here. I did actually know about this. I had heard about this, but SMP, SMP, uh, man, I'm struggling here. Uh, <laughs> 2110 support uh, that allows you to do uh, end display over um, Mellanox Rivermax, which means you can do um, uncompressed um, streams to, um, to displays directly out of GPUs bypassing CPU encoding, which is really cool. Um, like that's that's crazy. Uh, and there's also a multi-process and off, this is one I didn't know, multi-process and off-screen rendering, which sounds very interesting um, because that sounds like uh, a really awesome way to, to run this um, where you don't have to deal with, you know, Windows uh, Display Manager and stuff like that. So that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, it's just it's insane. And do you do you have another one? Have, have you hit an, another? Yeah, so many, but it, it's kind of fun to be trying to figure out what these things are actually doing off the top of my head. Like there's a, a system now for when you're blending animations together, you can see um, like debug versions of each of those animations to help with uh, the blending. And I was just looking at one that looked very cool with um, but, 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 but I just lost it. I just lost it. There's another one, but yeah, we can just go back and forth for a few real quick. Anything else for you? Oh man, uh, let's see. I, I'm just gonna. So I have found at the top of the page there's a nice index. Right. I have found just randomly clicking on that to be quite valuable in this. Mm -hmm. um, virtual asset improvement, offline support. That's pretty cool. Virtual asset was what they introduced. Um, if I remember clearly to allow for check-in of individual, actually, I don't know. I have no clue what virtual assets are. You know, I, I guess, I, I guess I don't know about that one. There's all the pixel streaming stuff here, uh, mm. which you, you have played around with. And uh, yeah. we've spoken about before OCIO improvements. That's always nice, man. And then it just goes into a huge list of bug, fixes and improvements wow yeah oh i want to call out um victor broden's xr creative framework plugin which um he teased uh when we did our like three hour live stream so that's available in 5.2 it gives you just like a nice little toolkit of uh things on top of what the vr template gives you Vive trackers now um, have their own plugin. I mean, and going back to what you were saying a minute ago, Jacob, about how Unreal Engine might have too many exciting things going on. I mean, that's why I really like the plugin system. Like, yeah. you're unlikely to get distracted by things if the plugin for it isn't on. Like, I heard a lot of people freaking out about um, Avalanche or whatever that will be called when it's released, which is almost like After Effects and all this motion graphics stuff added into Unreal. And a lot of people were like, oh my God, that's going to make the UI completely <laughs> overwhelming. And it's like, only if you turn it on. If you don't turn on that plugin, you're never yeah. going to see it. So. <laughs> I mean, uh, Unreal has been very smart about that in, in their plugin ecosystem. That it's all yeah. it's all pretty much in the same. I mean, the plugin list is getting enormous. Like yeah. it used to be you could know all the plugins that shipped with Unreal. Um, now there's just no chance you, you've played with all of them. Um, but yeah, yeah, you're totally right. I, I mean, the, the UI never feels cluttered to me. I do, one, one thing that is, can be frustrating is when you're, you're, you start doing something, you know, and you spend a lot of time. And then of course, because that feature isn't presented to you by default, like, oh, there's a plugin for that. Why don't you just use that, right? Like um, there's all sorts of stuff like that. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, there's been pretty constant improvements everywhere, I would say. I mean, I'm looking at Path Tracer right now. Um, Path Tracer is a pretty interesting one. You know, I, I have strong opinions on, <laughs> I guess. 
Um, but it looks like they're getting closer and closer to, you know, uh, fuller production support, uh, ability to make objects invisible to camera rays, but not global illumination. Uh, that's a feature that I know a lot of the, the VFX guys have been asking for for a long time. Um, you can you could do AOVs. Uh, yeah, you can render AOVs individually. A AOV What's is. Oh my God, what does it stand for? Uh, you got to put me on the spot. Um, oh, you don't have to give the actual acronym, but like basically. No, I, 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 I do though. This is like, man, it's embarrassing. <laughs> um, AOV stands for arbitrary output variable. There it is. Essentially what it is, is in VFX when you're, um, when you're rendering any sort of scene, typically what you'll do is you render your different passes as in what's called AOVs. And what that means is like, you might render what's called a beauty pass, which is your final, what, what looks like your, uh, um, you know, fully lit, fully, you know, rendered scene and all that. Um, and then you'll usually do additional passes that provide additional information for the rest of your pipeline. So one of the big ones is in VFX, if you're, for example, doing a VFX shot and you expect to hand over that shot to, let's say a compositor, who's gonna take it and put it into footage or do something else with it. You, you typically want to render out other AOVs, like it could be transparency or it could be, you know, puzzle mats, which allow you to do, uh, uh, to very easily visually separate different elements or like they're, they're depth maps, right? All these are just essentially, you could think of them as separate render passes, but uh, AOVs really uh, uh, just allow you to save out additional information along with your renders. And it's something that in VFX is super important, uh, but it's very cool to see that's coming along with with path tracer as well it, it was a feature in uh movie render queue if i remember clearly but not with path tracer um you know think about like in unreal when you're in your like lit preview how you can go to all those other different views like that you can kind of think of that as as what an aov is um path tracer blueprint node that's pretty cool um yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's so many things. We could be here all day talking about this. Yeah, well, I, um, I definitely want to cover a few. Like, let's let's give ourselves like five more minutes and then a hard stop to move on to other things. But um, <laughs> okay. I'm excited to see Niagara Sim caching. I remember when I first saw the chaos physics caching that that made so much sense to me. The idea that you could have this crazy destruction and rather than having to actually process and run that in real time every time it happens, you could you know, store all that information and then basically just like play back a sequence anytime you need to call that. And now it looks like we have that with Niagara where you could have some very complicated Niagara simulation. And then rather than running that at real time, you can cache it and play it back. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I, that was one of the things that um, you, you used to be able to do similar caches for importing Houdini Sims. I know a lot of people took advantage of that, but you right. couldn't build those caches with Niagara. If I remember clearly, mm -hmm. um, Niagara was, I, I mean, honestly, I haven't touched it in, in a long time, but in the early days of Niagara, it was so exciting. Uh, but there were all sorts of features that were just in the background um, that, you know, no one had really documented yet. Things like physics feel or like force fields, not like force fields, like, but literally being able to arrange a series of world vector space so that you could have different like wind patterns and or have like specific patterns that your you know different forces played around i mean it like there's all sorts of really cool stuff that leaned into kind of what we're talking about the the caching um being able to calculate ahead of time um now i mean i've seen so many i think you brought up one of these folks uh last time we we spoke on the podcast who had done um, some really amazing uh, VFX with Niagara and the grid panel? Was that was that part? I I, I feel like I remember. That bell. Um, but using, for example, there's the grid two D um, uh, Niagara stage that uh, I'm probably phrasing that wrong. Uh, but it used to be that you could, you know, for example, like convert a an image into a, a two-dimensional grid of particles. But now you can actually render like render targets to the grid, uh, which is incredible because then you can do all sorts of uh, amazing uh, VFX. Um, so very cool. Yeah. 
Um, there's a, a, a little GIF GIF in here under dynamic mesh data interface. And it talks about how um, you can have a piece of geometry that's running, and then you can basically duplicate what's happening with that geometry um, and put it everywhere. So the example is like one little mannequin walking, and then you have like a thousand mannequins uh, below doing the same thing. Um, and it looks a lot actually like a fun little uh, Unreal Engine game I released for free a, a couple weeks ago. I don't know if you've played it yet, but it's called Knock 'em Dead. And it's basically just a fun little physics sandbox where you are strategically trying to die at the correct time to get the most points. So you like run towards this crowd of all these other mannequins, and then you try to like go into ragdoll physics mode and knock down as many of the other mannequins as possible. And there's like a score multiplier based on that. Anyway, there's a, a little gift that looks a lot like my my little <laughs> game that anyone. I did I did with. see your game. I was seeing everyone's <laughs> high scores and like what. <laughs> I, I think I was traveling at the time. So I was like, what is Alex doing? Like, it, would, just it was just fun. like one of these threads where it was like, I, I, I could I could see the smirk on your face as everyone was like <laughs> rolling in with these results with just dead bodies all over the place. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that, that looked like a lot of fun, to be honest. And, and it's actually, funnily enough, the thing that I was playing with the most in there, I found out has gotten really popular in UEFN, which is the uh, the time dilation uh, effect. So I made it so that as soon as um, ragdoll physics activate, we go from time dilation of, of one, which it normally is, to 0 0.1. So it's like you get this very slow motion kind of thing <laughs> as everything's going into ragdoll mode, then it goes back to normal. And apparently, like for at least last time I saw this, all the most popular UEFN games were using time dilation in some some fun ways, especially some of the racing games. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's a very popular theme in, in games in general, I guess, but it's more fun when you just turn it on and don't think about it, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, and you I'm can also go the other way too. You can speed up time and suddenly like everything's going at like 50x speed. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. You used to do one of those ragdoll physics as part of your courses, right? And like, yeah, so it's actually a course by uh, Alex Pascal, who's an awesome UE instructor. And so I teach some of his courses sometimes. And uh, yes, he has like a runtime animation course that's state machines and blend states and uh, composites. And and uh, as part of that, we also have, you know, like a, a blending between physics and some of the state machines that are for like idle, yeah. running, walking um, so I, I, after one particular class where we had a lot of time and the students were just coming up with some really fun ideas of what to do with it, when class ended, I just kind of kept going with it. And that resulted in the, the little game there. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. I just ran across, um, everything in ICVFX mm -hmm. broadcast. There's some interesting stuff here. iOS stage app. I hadn't heard about this. Yeah. Um, so I, I saw a little preview of this at South by Southwest. That's going to be really exciting. It's not out yet, but it should be soon. Um, there's now apparently um, multi-user receive only mode. That's pretty cool. So you can put someone where they just are viewing a multi-user session. That's That's really nice. Um, single editor multi-cam for pixel streaming, as we've said, um, that's a super cool one. Um, you know, having the ability to have a camera operator in a completely different place or like you could have all sorts of different people, you know, viewing a, a scene completely remotely, really pretty cool. Um, here, here's an interesting one. So there is uh, render grid was officially released with this, uh, um, uh, with this uh, uh, version of the engine. And render grid is a bit of an interesting one. Uh, you know, the, the company I work for, we actually uh, were, were part of a, um, a solution that was built into render grid. And it was pretty cool to see, but it's essentially um, you can take um, MRQ or, or just like uh, sequencer uh, levels, level sequences. Wow. Mm -hmm. uh, levels. Oh, man, I'm having. I'm struggling tonight. We only record this at night, guys. All right. I feel like every podcast, I'm like, why can't I talk? And it's because it's like 10 o'clock in my bedtime. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's that's why. Um, anyways, uh, <laughs> you, you can take level sequences and kind of proceed, like use blueprint like graph to you know render them out in, in whatever procedural fashion you'd like. And that's that one's a pretty cool one. Um, yeah, I mean. Uh, something here. something that uh, is is typically a, a pretty beefy course um, when we teach it, and also it made an appearance 
at um, Unreal Fest in 2022 is how silly and complex it is typically in Unreal to crossfade between two cameras. Like typically you would just do that in Premiere or something else later. But if you yeah. actually wanted to have like a Star Wars style wipe or a proper like fade in, fade out crossfade between two cameras, you'd have to do this ridiculous system where you'd have like cameras on render targets. And then those yeah. render targets are actually being <laughs> looked at by like other cameras. And then within that, there's a material that is using material parameter collections to like dither and, and do all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and I just want to point out that I do see in the notes here that crossfading is now supported with the media plate actor, which I think we brought up before. Media plate actor is a great new replacement for most of the way movies were brought into Unreal in the past. Now it's very drag and drop. You don't need these like five other accompanying assets. And uh, very nice to see that that is just a thing now. You can crossfade between media plate actors. Hooray. So, but but between cameras, you're still stuck. Um, let me see. Um, there's not a huge explanation. It just as the media plate actor can now create crossfading between media using a combination of multiple media players, crossfade up to 2x tracks. Because um, the media yeah, players are just the like, uh, if you have pre-recorded footage. Mm. I feel like for crossfading two cameras, it's probably still pretty tricky. I, I, yeah, you got me thinking about how I would do that, but I don't know if I would have a better solution than you would you just mentioned. I mean, just yeah. Throwing well, and, it and now you got me wondering targets. too if there's any way you could actually uh, not trick Unreal Engine because it's all within its own language, but have Unreal Engine read a camera feed from in engine as a media player. I, I have no idea if there's actually a way to do that. But uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, you could do it. Yeah. You, you definitely can. I mean, in theory, you can actually technically do a loop back with pixel streaming and encoding. Oh, right. Yeah. It'd be pretty stupid, uh, but you could do it. Um, but uh, I'm trying to think how how you would do that in without, you know, getting into the engine. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Now, now you really got me thinking about it. I get the feeling what uh, you would probably have to do is is something similar with render targets and figure out how to how to capture uh, yeah yeah, yeah. I, I don't have a better solution yeah um so yeah nothing else major i want to mention in um the release notes other than you already alluded to it but a very nice section about all the new pixel streaming things going on um yeah. i noticed for vr pixel streaming they are not using the term webxr i heard some back and forth about whether or not to call it webxr because um, it is using some WebXR libraries, but I know Victor was kind of uncomfortable with that being the actual uh, term that was being bandied about. So it does say VR pixel streaming, and it mentions everything needed to get that up and running. Um, yeah. I allude to it in a couple of my little tutorial videos. And then also right under that, the multi-streamer support, where now you can have technically as many cameras as you want um, inside one instance of Unreal, all streaming out to different uh, browsers. And that's cool for all sorts of different reasons across virtual production and ICVFX and potentially co-op gaming. Um, yeah. Oh, and speaking of gaming, I just make sure that I cover uh, Prey Dog's um, uh, VR mod in this in this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think we spoke briefly about that even, uh, but we should go, I, I, I noticed you had been chatting about it a little more online. I'd love to, to go back into it. Before we get off the topic of pixel streaming, yeah. though, I do actually have uh, uh, not 5.2, but 5.3. Oh. Very interesting feature uh, yeah. to share with you. And this comes courtesy of Adam Wren our, our, from our friends at TensorWorks. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, he sent me the commit um, in 5.3 where officially um, Vulcan reaches SM6 meaning there's now feature parity in the render hardware interface on Linux and Windows. What? Oh, it's that's a big amazing. One. Yeah, we've been waiting for that big for a while. One. It's a pretty exciting thing for, you know, nerds like us. Uh, but yeah. with pixel streaming, it's it's very cool. And, you know, when we're seeing all this stuff about, for example, you know, uh, SMPTE 20, 2110 and off-screen rendering for in-camera VFX and, everything going on with pixel streaming and, and deployment, you know, all this stuff, you know, being able to have, you know, render parity between Vulkan and DirectX 12 is huge. And sure. it's coming out 5.3 commits are there ah. it's in the engine. Yeah. Um, Atan, who, you know, has been doing some really fun experiments with um, Unreal Engine running on Linux and certainly um, that's going to make it even cooler. So can't wait to try yep. that out. I mean, it's going to be really sweet when you don't have to think about, I mean, 
in theory, that's the whole point of the RHI in, in Unreal Engine, the render hardware interface, is that you shouldn't have to think about the different underlying protocols, like yeah, or you know, APIs. You shouldn't have to make a, a, a conscious decision when it comes to visual fidelity, at least. Like there's performance trade-offs and, and there's obviously more in-depth optimization that needs to happen for some of these things. But in terms of visual quality, you should not have to think between DirectX 12 and Vulkan. All the features should operate identically. Um, and, uh, you know, for a long time now, it's been Vulkan has, uh, you know, had subpar feature support uh, compared to DirectX. And it's been a big problem because when we're talking about, you know, uh, deployments outside of games, so like for lots of industries, VFX and, um, you know, media and you know all, all sorts of deployments the, the folks who use it for simulation or uh, world building or digital twin all this stuff right being able to deploy it outside of the windows environment um, is huge and now having you know parity between the platforms that's that's really going to make a big difference yeah 100 percent cool, cool. Uh, uh, what's next to receive that message that's for yeah. sure <laughs> I want to I want to chat. I, one thing that we talked about a little earlier that I think is worth going back over is talking about what happened with Unity this week. Actually, um, okay, it was part of this conversation. Uh, so I, I mentioned earlier I, I saw lots of um, very interesting takes online um, as a result of Unity laying off a very good portion of their engineering staff this week, and uh, yeah. you know. To, to folks out there who maybe are coming from Unity or, or were laid off. And I, uh, I apologize, you know, I feel bad for you guys uh, and, and everything has happened. That was definitely a bad situation. A anytime one of these mass layoffs ha happens, it's a terrible situation yeah. um, with people, a lot of people who are very passionate and very talented. It's, it's always hard to see, um, but I, I'm, I'm confident they'll all find a new home and most likely they'll just end up at Unreal. And you know what? that's not the worst place to be. So um, <laughs> regardless, uh, yeah, so there was a lot of news. They laid off a huge uh, uh, amount of, of their engineering staff and there were a lot of conversations online about how Unity fit into the you know, space today with Unreal Engine. And uh, particularly there were a bunch of folks talking about, okay, where does this sit between Unreal Engine and Godot? Uh, which is not really a conversation that was happening you know, a whole while back. Because um, I, I don't know about you, but you know, let's say four or five years ago, Unity was pretty much de facto standard, especially in indie games for, uh, it was a de facto standard for lots of, you know, let's call them small, medium sized studios. Mm -hmm. Then you know, the larger studios all used their own custom engines. Unity was for everyone else. And then Unreal Engine was this like weird, you know, weird kid that like some people like, but like, what are blueprints? Like, what the fuck is that? You know, it was that kind of thing. Um, and nowadays, you know, it's, it's very different. Um, you know, the Fortnite money is good money. And so they've poured a ton of resources into the engine. They've, uh, you know, acquired a, an absolutely incredible technical team um and they've just been knocking features out left and right and now there's a conversation about you know unity like okay well now that unreal can both meet the demands of small to medium-sized studios you know it's free licensing for small to medium-sized studios most of the time and it can also you know work in AAA games and all these industries like where's the room left for you know, a solution like Unity, which has its own licensing and needs to kind of scramble to find the industries that it's going to fit best into, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think it's an interesting conversation. I, I mean, because on the other end, you do have something like Godot, which historically has not been very fully featured, but there's been a lot of really interesting development happening there. And so now there's a free alternative on the other side that's kind of putting pressure on, you know, this indie, the indie game space and you know, smaller studios that, you know, don't want to, you know, who want to be able to hack at the engine more or whatever it is, right? Like, I think it does put this everyone in a, in terms of unity and some of these other guys in a very interesting position. Um, but I'm, I'm curious to hear your take if, if you've thought about this. 
Yeah, a little bit. Um, and I always feel like anytime we talk about Godot, I need to say so many people are are waiting for Godot and to see yeah, uh, yeah. what it can be in the future. Um, of course. <laughs> yeah. And and I mean, what, what's been interesting me as well is thinking about Unity's acquisitions um, lately. And we I think we've mentioned these before, but like, you know, semi seemingly in response to like everything with metahumans and cubic motion and three lateral, um, Unity got uh, Ziva Dynamics, who has some really exciting digital human stuff as well as Weta Digital. And so I was curious if if anything had really come of that. Like I remember at GDC last year, you and I together might have even seen uh, some like lion demo that Unity was showing. And then there was um, a woman at a table, which was also an exciting demo, but those felt very much like very unapproachable, not particularly artist-friendly tech demos. And I was curious if any of that had been made easier for people to build into their pipelines. And I actually did get um, a response on Twitter just to the question, like, what's the state of this right now? And I just want to um, draw people's attention to the response, if I can find it, um, which is basically that, yes, some of these, these tools are being baked um, in a more user-friendly way into what they're doing. Um, Ziva has VFX 2.1, which apparently is very artist-friendly. That's their software. And then also there was one more on the Weta side. Cinemachine 3. Cinemachine 3 has new improvements that come from uh, Ziva and also Weta. So anyways, just wanted to point that out, that it's good to at least see Unity starting to bring more tools available to people uh, with those acquisitions. Um, I do have to say that in my humble opinion, I feel like Unity is being driven a lot by being a public company now and you know their share price. And fortunately, Unreal Engine still being a private company or Epic Games rather, um, it just seems like there isn't as much pressure for short-term profit, which is, I don't yeah. know, that's, that, that feels better to me. <laughs> I, th I, I think we, I think what, what, and we've touched on this a bunch, like what makes the situation a lot easier for Epic is that they have a game to ship these features in when yeah. they build them right yeah. so like when they build a new feature for the engine they're going to build it for either fortnite or for a specific partner or licensee right like they have they have those people lined up they don't have to you know play things out on a limb for their investors or for anyone else like it's very straightforward the value and return that they get from implementing any feature right uh, whereas for unity because they've you know they haven't necessarily gone down that path of, of giving themselves a brand tied to a specific experience or type of experience um you know i think it's a lot more challenging for them to to justify going out and building some of these crate i mean like like i said like running a neural net just as a plugin and like that's a really weird thing to develop if you are building a game engine like make things look better first uh but they don't have to think about that because you know they have vfx customers or you know maybe games customers who specifically want this feature they're already licensees and they'll ship it in you know Fortnite in a few seasons and it's it's done right like it's paid for um I think that's I, I sympathize with, with Unity, you know, as a brand, they, they've had a pretty incredible role in shaping this industry. And I don't think the story's by any means over yet. I think there's a lot of interesting stuff still to come there. Um, you know, if like Alex was saying with some of the acquisitions, you know, the Weta tools uh, uh, kind of and pipeline team, um, you know, acquiring you know, trying to stay competitive with their acquisitions, I think is, is interesting. Um, but I, I, I get the feeling that, you know, someone like a, a company like Unity is, is bound to have an ace up their sleeve somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, and, and kind of where they choose to play their cards, I think will be very interesting coming up. I do think there's plenty of space left for them. I, I don't think it's, it's fair to say, oh, well, between Unity and Godot, there's nothing left. Like, I, I don't really think that's accurate. Um, because there are plenty of people who, you know, don't see Unreal for, or, I mean, if, I mean, I, I said this earlier, I saw half of the discourse on that was like, oh, Unreal Engine is just bloatware. It's, you know, it has way <laughs> too many features and like, they're just throwing features out there and no one's going to use them. Well, it's like, ah, I don't know if that's true, but like, if you're Unity, you could certainly play that. Like, 
you could play into that and and make your experience very you know tailored and specific to a, a very specific industry like you could do that um so it'll be interesting to see you know yeah for sure all right next topic you tell me man um, yeah, I mean, it's it's still fresh in my head thinking about uh, the gaming stuff, but boy, the, this past week or so, I've really gone hard into uh, this this early beta access I have to uh, Prey Dog, as he's known on Discord, his um, Universal Unreal Engine VR injector. And I didn't realize that he has a long history of creating VR injectors for lots of games made from um, other engines. I was showing my, my seven-year-old who loves dinosaurs and monsters, uh, Monster Hunter inside VR, which is not an Unreal Engine game, but it used to be that he'd make all these like one-off injectors and each one was tailored to a specific game. But now what he's working on, and, and I think he plans on releasing this to the public in the next couple months, is basically this one universal injector that'll work with any Unreal Engine game. And so far it's been working awesome. I've tried it with um, It Takes Two. I've tried it with Harry Potter. I've tried it with um, all sorts of different games, a bunch of small indie games made in Unreal Engine, and they feel excellent. Oh, I tried it with um, Jedi Survivor, which also, if you turn that into like a first person game, like you zoom in the camera really close and now everything feels more first person, um, really, really cool. And what I'm particularly impressed by is like as someone who has uh, spent a fair amount of time taking my older like Unreal Engine projects and trying to convert them to run well in VR, um, his interface just has all these different like CVARs and, you know, the way that the VR was being created that just automates a lot of that process. So what I found embarrassingly, I, I can admit that in some cases I could take an older project that I made that I had manually converted to VR. And instead I just use his injector on my original version of that project and it runs smoother and looks better. And it's like, man, <laughs> like I, that makes me feel embarrassed, but also it's, it's super cool that it's doing that. Um, because yeah, you don't just have to do it for games. You can do it for Unreal Engine sample projects. You can take yeah. things like the Meerkat demo or the Matrix City sample and just take the cool. downloaded executable of that and now inject VR into it. And it handles Lumen and Nanite stuff well. It handles um, things like grooms, which sometimes would only show up in one eye. Uh, very well. And I, oh, I should say also, I think I can say this, this is okay. There is another Unreal Engine 5.2 sample that is coming out next week. I won't say anything more than that, but um, I also had early access to the sample, not made for VR. I checked it out with this injector. Gorgeous, amazing. And I cool. can't wait for everyone to check this out next week. So just a little teaser of, of you know, we, we now have the ML Deformer sample that came out right away with 5.2. Another 5.2 sample is on the way that I, I can't wait to see everyone's reaction to. Cool. Very yeah. cool. Yeah, I uh, that sounds pretty pretty awesome. And I and I, I remember all of the early maybe maybe it was the same person who did uh, like injectors for well I there was a project that tried to do it for any game and it I remember getting very nauseous early on. But like I remember some of the early like Skyrim mods, and yeah, Bioshock and um Trying to think yeah, there's been other... a bunch of efforts on that. Front. Yeah, I mean, Skyrim was the big one, if I remember clearly, that uh, that was developed. And I remember trying it and also getting extremely nauseous. Um, but I have to imagine a lot has changed since then. I would love to, to give that a try. I mean, it sounds like a really awesome reason to get my headset off the wall and, you know, jump into some some games and see them again. And I mean, Harry Potter sounds pretty cool. And, and it's not the most beautiful game ever, but it sounds pretty cool to like, can you actually like swing your wand around and do stuff like yeah. that? Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's cool. basically the game, but in VR. And again, you could like zoom in closer if you want to get out of that like third person mode, but to like fly around, you know, Hogwarts and, and the water looks beautiful yeah. to go inside the castle and really get a sense of like the scale of the Great Hall in VR. That stuff is pretty cool. Um, and I also have to mention, because I usually am not a fan of Discord, that the th this is all living inside the flat 2 VR Discord. And it's a very well-organized Discord because there's certain um, threads or channels that are about just like general tips and tricks and that kind of stuff. And then you can also find like for every single game that someone has gotten working in uh, a converter, either this universal Unreal Engine one or, or others, there's just like all sorts of information there about like getting set up and best practices for like what to do your, your settings at. Um, I also was introduced to something that I, I can't believe I didn't know about, which is the uh, universal Unreal Engine 
um, geez, it's UUU, but it basically this is another injector, which will allow you to take games from Unreal or any executable that was built as a shipping version. So of course, in a shipping version of something made in Unreal, you don't have access to um, the uh, the console anymore. This will give you the console back, which is really cool. So then for games cool. or anything else, you now can use all those CVARs under the sky. And that's awesome for trying to like modify a thing to be exactly the way you want it to be. <laughs> That sounds like a great way to get some like some instant cheats in your game. Yeah. Right? <laughs> well, playing it, so it takes two as a co-op game, and it was very interesting yeah. how typically it's like a split screen game, and they added in um, this this split screen feature at my nudging of being like, "Hey, like this would be an awesome game to have in there." And right now, uh, it's it just doesn't work well in VR because of the split screen side. Um, but it's a very different experience when you have like a full view of the level. Um, because normally, it, you know, having half the screen and having that that frustrum very um, tailored to to what the game is trying to show you at a particular moment, it definitely feels like cheating having the full VR view of everything. Right, because <laughs> there's a lot of like um, just like narrative driven moments where you're, the camera is fixed. Right, I remember that. I, I played that game. It. It was a little creepy, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a great puzzle game. Just like there's a lot of really yeah. cleverly designed puzzles in there. And I, I have to applaud uh, the Electronic Arts team um, for never resting on a certain mechanic. Like there's some wonderful mechanics in that game that could just be five. It could be, sorry, a, a whole game. And instead yeah. it's there for like five minutes and then you're on to the next mechanic. And so it just yeah. feels like uh, uh, there's so many great ideas packed in there. It's true. And just just a heads up your video is frozen for for oh thank you uh, it's probably right? probably a battery thing uh yep it's telling me i got low battery How there about, you go is that better great yep. i'm back hi you're back you're um, back and and as long as you're talking about games let me just give a quick shout out to um, yeah, another fisherman's say. tale by Interspace vr they are a, a wonderful studio that I've, I've had nice relationship with uh the guy who leads the studio is named balthazar which is one of the coolest names in the world <laughs> and um my kids started playing the first fisherman's tale game uh, when they were very young. So my my oldest, who's now seven, must have been four or five, and the youngest was like two. And and again, I've always been the kind of person who like wants to let my kids have like very curated um, time in VR that is supervised and and it's all very um, designed. And they loved that game, and I I think they learned so much spatial reasoning from that game, and they probably played through the whole thing like fifty times. So when Balthazar emailed me uh, about a month ago and was like, "Hey, do you guys want early access to the game?" The kids were like, their minds were blown, and so they've had all this time um, to get a sense of the game early. And then yesterday, my five year old um, came home from school, and I thought like, um, I I told him like, "Oh, by the way, just so you know, another Fisherman's Tale officially came out today," and he's like, "Oh." well, we should make a video about it. And I was like, well, you know, we don't usually do like screen time during the week, but he's like, but what if people get stuck? Like we have all this information about it. So we should make like a nice video that shows people how to play through all the hard parts. And I was like, oh, I mean, that is very nice and generous of you. So we made this video last night that ended up being like an hour and a half long of him. It's very cute. Just going through like the first uh, two and a half chapters and solving most of the puzzles on his own. There were some there that I was like, oh, I'm going to have to like swap in and help him out. And some of these really tricky puzzles where you need to like throw your head into a vent and put your hand into an engine and like control these things yeah. from different angles. Like he took care of it. He did it himself. That's pretty so cool. It's, it's a really cool game, and I, I love the way that it, expand, it expands on the first game because now they really expand on the idea of you being a fisherman because your head and your hands, all of these body parts now become something that you like cast out and then kind of reel back oh. <laughs> in a different capacity. Um, and it's cool. really a game made for VR. Yeah, I, I highly, highly recommend it. <laughs> yeah, I remember loving the the first one. Um, it, it, was, it was one of those games that you just had to, play all the way through like you, yeah. you could and it's a long it's it was a pretty long experience i remember clearly it's like, it, it, the play time was like three to four hours or something like that um for the first one i if i remember clearly it might have been a little shorter um but i remember yeah that, that was a great game um and i i definitely gotta play a new one i i think of of kind of that initial generation of games it was that and like i guess similar to what you're describing with some of these puzzles um maybe in this version, but uh, I Expect You to Die was was yeah. another one of my favorites. Um, yeah, it's just those those games were, you know, puzzle games in VR are just awesome. I, I guess I have no other way of putting that. Uh, 
but puzzle games that can pack a narrative punch too are, are even better yeah 100 percent. and that is an unreal engine game right mm-hmm. yep yep both uh these fisherman tale games I, I mean it's pretty rare to find an oculus quest totally standalone game that runs in unreal um their last game uh mask maker which was a very another super super cool game was made in unreal but i think only worked on desktop um not just quest and so it's it's pretty cool to see a company that is still devoted to unreal engine and making uh totally standalone games because a lot of people seem to be convinced that unreal engine can't be used for that and they're wrong (laughs) (laughs) of course oh man well i think we have run the gamut in this episode oh i got a few more quick things like i think we need to shout out um that unreal fest 2023 was officially announced yeah yeah yeah. beginning of october back in new orleans again are you going to be there jacob i will definitely be there excellent definitely Um, be in new orleans i'm excited i had a great time last year definitely recommend you come come down to new orleans if uh you're interested it's it's an awesome event with some great people Mm -hmm. yeah can't can't recommend it enough I think I'll be giving a talk about MetaHuman Animator, which will be really fun. And I'll try to squeeze in some uh, VR stuff for that as well. Um, so potentially look forward to that talk. <laughs> yeah, we were brainstorming doing a, a talk this year as well. Uh, That'd be great. I, I'm not sure exactly what it will be yet, but I, I would love to, to do something there, um, even if it's in a, in a small way. Yeah. Um, I also just want to shout out briefly that a, a cool thing that came out with 5.2 is there is now a lumen performance guide for unreal engine which is very robust and i just like the way it kind of goes through like getting the most out of lumen and this is stuff like all this information was out there across like different live streams and forum posts but it's a it's a really good one-stop shop for for understanding more about lumen and we'll put well i'll try to put links or alan will try to put as many links as possible in our show notes for this stuff yeah i'm checking that out now i actually haven't seen this it's pretty cool how so now that you've gone maybe this is a, a longer topic but and we can expand this maybe in the next episode if you want to come by but now that you've had enough time to really you know mess with lumen what are what is your your thoughts on it like is it do you still have anything any desires any any unfulfilled needs yeah i mean honestly for me it still is too unpredictable and and again this is something that might be clarified by spending more time going through this guide but i still find situations where i cannot get a certain corner of the wall to resolve and it's still almost doing like a caustic gloomy yeah. you know effect and i find that really distracting um reflections have gotten better but they're still not suitable for mirror reflections so you know most of the especially the vr projects that we're involved with right now we're still using baked lighting and ray tracing and i would i would love to leave that behind and go into a fully you know real-time unbaked world but um at least insofar as what i've been able to achieve with lumen so far i haven't quite been able to take that leap yet nanite though is great we're using nanite all sorts of times and places (laughs) yeah yeah no doubt i i haven't heard any any middle ground takes on nanite i think pretty much everyone everyone loves it uh there's pretty much no looking back on that one um yeah so cool Um, yeah do you have any uh shout outs jacob uh i do but man i I, for some reason closed out of twitter Ah. uh, before i before we got to this point uh, do you have a few you, you can you can lead with and I'll, I'll jump yeah I've, I've got two quick ones and they're they're kind of similar and related first I want to shout out um, a Twitter user at Teflon Sega and I think his uh, YouTube account is the same and he is a, a musical artist who is doing really cool um, virtual production stuff so t- today he posted a music video he made and it's a single take of him in a mocap suit with like a treadmill and doing the entire music video in one take and then you know you see the final version uh created in unreal and i just love the the innovation of what's going on and what's cool is like he's doing so many kind of random things in that one take that he he couldn't possibly have known like to hop from here to here to here to here because that's where he knew he was going to have rocks so of course a lot of that stuff happens in post but it just it's a beautiful production pipeline and i love seeing that kind of stuff um similarly you know a, a shout out to an og person who's been doing that for a long time uh cory straussberger who um also has blue and the xanadu stuff on youtube i heard him on a great podcast 
um, on CG Pro. Uh, I have a nice relationship with CG Pro. I've taught a few classes for them, including for NASA earlier in the year. Um, went on their podcast as well. And uh, really excellent interview with Corey about everything he's up to now. Uh, and particularly from a business perspective, for anyone who's thinking about a career in like VTubing or doing, you know, one man army kind of uh, uh, productions inside Unreal, um, Corey gives a really good breakdown of, you know, what his challenges have been making that something that he can actually uh, survive on. And also, at least in his case, finding a, a really exciting haven with a, a DAO, DAO. Um, where there's a lot of, uh, basically Corey's message to everyone in that podcast is like, there actually is a lot of money for this kind of stuff floating out there. You just need to find your right community and present them your ideas and people actually uh, will fund it. So um, if you go to Corey's um, YouTube channel for Xanadu, you'll see nothing's been posted there in a while, but it's because he's like deep in the weeds doing some pretty heavy production for the next episodes. And the last thing he posted was actually the pitch video to the DAO um, and this isn't even in the YouTube channel where as his um, avatar, as his character, he is making the case for why, you know, they should give him money to do his his show. Uh, so very inspiring story there. So check that interview out on the CG Pro podcast. Yeah, very cool. Um, I do did remember one of my shout outs. Um, we've shouted them out before, but uh... The folks over at Skyglass and, and, and Ryan in particular, they launched their application a few weeks ago. I think we mentioned it after GDC, uh, but it's been really cool to see. They've had uh, a lot of folks uh, um, checking it out. There was a, a few really awesome threads I thought saw of, of people doing, you know, kind of uh, on the spot virtual production and, and kind of talking through, hey, like this seems really cool. Like what can it do? And kind of exploring these kinds of solutions. So I think it's really cool um and, and shout out to them for for a successful launch that's always always great to see in the community of, of folks who are are kind of playing in this middle ground between unreal engine and and these other industries and i don't know it's very cool to see yeah 100 i i definitely had at least one more shout out but i lost it so yeah <laughs> that's okay. it'll be in the it'll be in the comment section if i remember at some point but uh, you know shout out to i guess the the whole unreal engine community yeah it's so exciting to see what's going on i'm excited <laughs> to see you in new orleans now that that's announced and you know i i was telling alex this at the beginning of the podcast but maybe in australia we'll see maybe. there's australian unreal fest but that's like a 20 something hour flight so i don't know yeah but it is in their winter so it might not be too hot i, I don't know it's i think it's in sydney right uh it's in gold coast so it's like oh gold coast okay yeah yeah nice um yeah i guess uh it's in june so yeah winter right cool but i'm, I'm sure um, it's still, still perfectly lovely i i was told the water parks were great so oh sure better be warm <laughs> better be warm yeah yeah my brother studied abroad in the gold coast he had an absolute joy of a time um i've never been i i've been to the entire um, East Coast back when I was like 14 years old as a wee student ambassador, but uh, I've only explored that East Coast, have never gone inland properly. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I, I, I've gone to visit Australia once and it was, it was great. I, I loved it. I would love to go back. It's just, man, what a brutal flight. It's yeah. A lot of traveling. <laughs> it's a lot of traveling. That's for it sure. Is. Cool. All right. All right. So um, I, it's been really nice to run into the occasional person who, who says they're a fan of the podcast. So I definitely want to give people the opportunity to do that. Um, so just reiterating a couple events coming up that I'd love to see people at. Um, on Monday and Tuesday, I'll be speaking at the Real-Time Economics uh, Summit in New York City. It's a big gathering of um, decision makers who want to use real-time technology in interesting ways. And I'll be talking about the architectural design process on Monday. And then on Tuesday, I'll be talking about this crazy uh, project I've been doing in, in Austin since December that is a, you know, arena scale VR multiplayer ray traced Unreal Engine VR experience. Um, and I'll be going through just some of the lessons from that so far. And I'll actually have a little bit of a demo of, uh, of how that um, runs. Uh, we'll do like a little, you know, because that experience has like OptiTrack and a big 100 foot by 100 foot space. We'll have a little bit of a teaser taster version of that at the Museum of the Moving Image. Um, and then on March 23rd, March 23rd, on May 23rd, my dad's birthday, I will be on a panel at, I have no idea how to pronounce this, G Metrics R, G M E T R I X R's uh, first 
in real life event. It'll be at Hudson Yards in New York City. And that'll be a cool panel talking about the metaverse and XR and AI and all these fun future buzzwords that we like to talk about so much. Um, then I'll be heading back to Austin on uh, May 31st, doing actually some fun stuff with uh, some epic guys there, uh, which I might be able to talk about next podcast. And then on June 1st, I'll be headed over to Los Angeles for a few days, um, partially for the Next Stage Summit, which is all about theater and live events. And we'll be showing some cool Unreal Engine stuff there. That's it for me. That's a lot. That's yeah. <laughs> that's not just it. That's a lot. But uh, definitely, uh, if you're at at, at uh, some of those events, or if uh, you make done real fest later in the year, I'm sure we'll have many episodes between now and then. But uh, definitely feel free to to reach out and let us let us know you 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 listen to the podcast and give us feedback. We really love to hear it. Um, and and with that, I'll say, make sure you like, make sure you, you comment, subscribe, share, whatever it is, where, wherever you are. Uh, and thanks for listening. I hope we uh, catch you on the next episode. Thanks, everyone. See you next time. <laughs>